Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 137. I had my friend Greg Collins from the SGFC podcast on to talk about Chelsea because we're both Chelsea fans. And uh, when we decided to have this conversation, things were going very badly. Since then, they won two on the bounce, so our conversation is a little bit more upbeat than it would have otherwise been. What makes this episode as long as it is, uh, is also that, well, we had a lot to say about that, but we also went over the whole entire VAR controversy that happened in the Spurs-Liverpool match last weekend. The audio was released, chaos has ensued, it's been a really, really fun thing to talk about. So we spend time talking about that at first, then we move on to Chelsea. Fun talk, fun time. Enjoy. Let's get started. Um, it's Campfire Football and SGFC, and we're going to talk Chelsea, but we're also going to talk, well, brilliant current events in football. And Greg, why don't we just start with the VAR um, from this past weekend? Because that's just the top of it's everyone's topic. minds. It is, <laughs> Indeed, it is. yeah. So, um... For everybody, if maybe you don't watch Premier League football as much or you didn't notice this incident, which I'd be surprised about, but it's possible. There's some listeners who may not may not have been keyed into this. Uh, there was the decision between Spurs and Liverpool. It's nil-nil. Lewis Diaz scores. The referee or the, the linesman calls it offside after the play. Then play restarts with the goal disallowed and then chaos ensued. Uh the audio was then released after everyone basically said, release the audio, as if it was like, um, you know, just Some sort of Liverpudlian war cry. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you'll never walk alone and release the audio. Those are the two major, yep. major things. So the, the most interesting thing was when that audio got released. And just talk about your, it's not really just how you felt about that, but sort of the range of uh, thoughts and emotions you've gone through since that moment, because things really did just gather momentum from the moment that happened all the way until now. Uh, yeah. Th- I mean, things have moved very quickly um, since Saturday, which, which they should, because what we saw on Saturday in, you know, something that I've said on my podcast regularly in the best football league in the world, let's not forget the most watched, the most revenue creating league, the officiating was unbelievable. You know, this offside decision, you could call this in a Sunday league game, but we have billions of pounds of technology and, you know, this is the result we get. It's a very obvious mistake. It's yeah. a very obvious error from the officials. And I, I don't usually stand up for Liverpool. I, I don't think I've ever stood up for Liverpool, but the fact that they've been conned out of this I, I was glad to see some justice served and we saw the audio which you know we were discussing a little bit before we we came on air it's just I'm, i'll have to edit myself and bleep myself it's a clusterfuck of, of communication between seven people and, and you kind of get an insight into why they get the decisions wrong too many mcs not enough mics says the fujis said right upon a yeah time. yeah <laughs> i you know one thing that was was interesting because the the following day Chelsea played against Fulham right at Craven Cottage, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm did you watch that game? I did. Yes. Okay. So obviously we have different commentary teams that we listen to being um, in the US and the UK. But one thing that and I believe it was Lee Dixon who was on the call. 
um, uh, as the co-coms. I don't remember who the commentator was, but they were saying, they were explaining how different the conversation that the officials were having in the VAR booth with the official on the field from the day before. Like they were being ultra careful and very, 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 (laughs) um, they were being really really clear about everything they were saying whereas when you listen to that audio which please anyone who has not heard it listen to it it is fascinating but when you listen to the audio you just hear tons and tons of shorthand right and Mm. i understand they have to they're trying to do this quickly so they have ways of saying like you heard him saying kick point kick point on 2d and so the kick point is when the ball is released from the player's foot 2d as you can see on the screen when they show it it's they have sections of the pitch, vertical, you know, horizontal sections of the pitch. And 2D mm-hmm. was one of those. And so they're like, put the line on 2D. And and everything is so quickly said that if you aren't really paying attention, it sounds like a different language, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I, it actually it was, almost does anyway. Yeah, I mean, what we said before is that it's it was an insight into how this system actually works because we see it from a, a supporter's point of view. We see it on TV. We see it in the stadiums of, you know, VAR review in progress for offside. And it's okay. We sit there and we look at the, if you're watching it on TV, you see the lines being drawn and you see them trying to work out where the point of contact is, which part is offside, which part isn't depending on what part of the body you can score with. But to get this inside a sort of fly on the wall, um, look at VAR was truly insightful. And, it does show that, in my opinion, this system just isn't up to scratch. It's not something that has been finely tuned enough because this was the 14th time the PGMOL has had to come out and apologize for a VR decision. 14 separate mistakes that would have cost teams points, have cost teams going into Europe, not going into Europe. It's it's shocking that how much miscommunication is going on, how many things that the one referee, and I will give him a bit of credit, is trying to deal with at once. You know, you, yeah. you said it there. It, it's not clear. They're trying to use all, you know, jargon language. But, you know, when you're trying to listen to this while the game is continuing and you know, you've kicked off again or you've kicked off from the free kick and you're carrying on, you've got the assistants talking to you as well. It, it, it's not a clear and obvious system to be using to you know make these clear and obvious calls. Yeah, and one thing that I mentioned again right before we went on air was the uh, the fact that if you have like these t- these uh, sort of hosts of a you know review show or something, people who are broadcast hosts, they're very well trained at being able to in their ear hear the producer, someone else, you know, keep the conversation going. They're they're trained in this. Mm. And then you see the picture of Simon Hooper going like this. And he's got like five guys all talking at the same time. Yeah. You know, being like, oh, shit, we've, we, we've messed up. Oh, no. Are you happy <laughs> with this decision? And he's sitting there like, uh, am I about to get run over by a bus here? Like, I am the one that everyone yeah. sees on the field, you know. and Exactly. Yeah. I, and I, he is, you know, referees are trained in refereeing. They're not trained in like being able to sort out four different voices in their head while also doing an extremely high pressure job that mm. that you have to be completely keyed in for. I mean, look, on the weekends, I ref like sort of small-sided games for kids, like eight, nine years old. Calling fouls is not easy. It, it It's not. <laughs> and you think it is. You're like, oh, 
but two kids run into each other. It's a little scruffy and they both go down and one clearly, you know, one had the ball and you're like, was that fair play or is, was that a foul? And you really, you, you even with eight-year-olds, you sort of have this thing. So I can only imagine at that level with that kind of pressure what it feels like. But then to also have what is essentially chaos between four mm. other people in your brain at the same time, that that is definitely something that they have to fix. And I think the audio was really, really good to hear just how far they've gone away from being clear with each other, where it's just, mm -hmm. what do we do to figure out what the decision is? And then, then there's this other question, which I have yet to figure out when there's eight matches going on at once, are there eight VAR crews at Stockley park? Because what it sounded like is that they didn't know that the on-field decision was offside, right? That, that's, yeah. that's what you can tell. They didn't know. They thought, Goal was awarded, and that's why they said, yeah, mm -hmm. good, check complete, goal, that's fine. And then the guy's like, wait, wait, are you happy with this? On-field decision yeah. was offside. And they're like, wait, what? So are they clearly aren't watching the match live and doing it. I just don't – that's another thing I don't understand. This is it. This is another reason why, you know, this – technology and this advancement in our in our officiating has been introduced into the game but we have no idea how it works you know we don't know if there's one team looking at eight games because i suspect that's probably the case you don't want to hire eight referees who get paid pretty well on top of having eight systems in eight different rooms you know it's very expensive um i we don't know we're so in the dark about all of this and as you know a fan of Chelsea, who has a season ticket, who's been going to matches since the early 90s. I've paid a lot of money to, to watch football and watch the Premier League. And I subscribe to the, the several different channels we have here in the UK to watch all the football. But I don't know how my game is being officiated. It, it's it's yeah. ridiculous. Well, and this is actually, you know, because I'm in the United States and uh, obviously going to Stamford Bridge for, for me and anyone who lives here. Uh, or going to Premier League games is is obviously not as feasible. Now, tell me about the fan experience being in the grounds, because we, we all know, we've heard this a million times, that fans in the grounds have no idea what's going on. All they see is VAR check, and they'll mm -hmm. be like checking goal or checking offside or whatever. And if you're in the stands, you have really no idea what's going on. If you're watching on television – the, the commentary crew can hear what's going on in the VAR booth and they relay it to you right away. If mm -hmm. you're in the stands, you're just like, what's going on? Um, so yeah. to, uh, tell me about that and also tag on to it because one of the things a lot of people say is that it you, you don't want to celebrate as a fan because you know that there's like a chance that, that it will be called off. And look, I have that same thing. Sometimes I'm watching a match a ball goes in and I'm like, wait, wait, wait for a second. Mm -hmm. I, I've even done this at our like local high school games where a ball goes in and I'm like, wait a second. Oh, and I'm like, there's no, <laughs> it's in, it's a goal. Like this is not going to get called back. So it filters into everywhere. So tell me from your perspective as someone who goes to Stamford Bridge, you know, frequently, mm. what has been the way that you and also other fans around just, what is the experience of VAR sort of looming way out in Stockley Park, far from the ground? Um, yeah, how do people feel about that? It's 
it's it's changed the football experience. The live football experience is definitely a lot different to what it was six, seven years ago. You know, I've like I said, I've been going to see Chelsea. I think my first game was the 96-97 season, uh, playing the original original Wimbledon, not AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, little kid loved it. Great fun. In fact, the the game was actually sponsored by like a chocolate bar called Yorkie over here in the UK. And I walked away with about 70 chocolate bars. Amazing. Um, but the the atmosphere inside Premier League Stadium now is a bit more muted when a goal goes in. You do have the celebration, but you do notice, you know, myself as well and all the people I sit with, we we take a little celebration when a goal goes in, but then we, we all stop. It's like we can't let out everything we want to, be it a last-minute winner, an opening goal against a rival. We have to have that weight. And everyone does sort of, you know, sort of wait and kick around and see what happens. When it comes to VAR decisions just during open play, it's, you know, we're left in the dark. You know, we we see the referee sort of, you know, obviously he blows the whistle, stops the game. Um, but what's going on? It's like, oh, sorry, we're, we're checking, you know, the big screen we've got, yet yeah, VAR review, uh, possible offside or, you know, handball decision, red cards, whatever. And that's all we see. We see one purple board that says VAR review for red cards. And we're like, okay, yeah, obviously, you know, if it's against Chelsea, we're saying that's ridiculous, no way, blah, blah. But it, it takes you out of the experience. And we're, the whole stadium is sat there for 30 seconds. The whistles start, the booing starts because we're not shown the, the offence. We're not shown, you know, it's a, it's a lot harder to keep up with the game for some fans who, you know, can't, you know, who are maybe further away or maybe turn their head to grab a drink or talk to their friends. Um, and then the game's all of a sudden stopped. But there's there's no information. And uh, there hasn't been, I don't think there ever will be, because we saw the controversy uh, in the 2010 World Cup with the Frank Lampard goal against Germany, yep. when they showed it on the big screens when they weren't meant to. We we will never see it um, to, to protect the referees. It's it's probably for the best, if I'm being honest. But it's it's not good. It, it ruins the experience of going to watch live football. But that, that's a really interesting point because, I, look, I remember going to Stamford Bridge maybe 15, 18 years ago, and we went on this uh, – I went with my team, and we went on this little tour of of the the stands. And the guy was saying, look, at most Premier League grounds, there aren't big screens mm-hmm. because if they show something, it might cause chaos in the stands and might create fights and stuff. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating because I was like, you know, I get it, but that also feels like a relic from the n- early 90s, 80s, when people literally went to grounds, you know, there were a lot of people that went to grounds just to fight and and yeah, things were also, yeah. And so the question really then becomes, don't people, like people are all asking for transparency. People want to know what's going on. If you show, say, the lines being drawn on the big screen in the stand or in the stadium does that actually is that actually a bad thing is showing the incident again necessarily a bad thing now it it could maybe like you know if you take malo gusto's red card last week Mm -hmm. right um on initial uh, when the challenge happened i didn't i didn't think much of it similar to curtis jones and then you look at it again you're like ooh, okay now if you show that in the stands there are going to be those exact same reactions of ooh but it's going to be 30,000 people doing it and now I mean, you, the you officials go the... shit like we've got 30,000 people yeah. about, you know <laughs> but at the same time like we've got to pick one at at some point right um, absolutely 
And, and I think that at this point, people are so frustrated that maybe the transparency and letting people just deal with it um, in terms of, okay, you know what's happening. This tackle happened. Eh. You know, I think most Chelsea fans, if they were seeing that Malagusto challenge happening 30 seconds after it happened, most would probably be like, ooh, yeah, he's probably exactly. gone. Right. You know, I come back to the point that it's one of the only sports in the world where we don't have that transparency. Everything from NFL to cricket to tennis to you know very high-paced sports, very you know slower sports, we hear officiating. You know when they're looking at um, if um, like a wicket is taken in cricket, we hear them going through the process and we see it as they're talking about it on screen. Mm. In NFL, all of your referees are mic'd up. It and yeah, you don't always agree with it, but you you get the understanding, and as you start to see what they're doing and why they're doing it, even if it is just drawing the line so we can see it on the big screen, it allows us to feel that, although we don't agree with it, we can see what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, it, there's not going to be riots if someone's full, you know, caught offside. It, British football isn't like that anymore. And like I say, a relic of the past, I, I think so. You know, uh, the, the, the standard of, of safety and, and um, policing in UK stadiums is, is top-notch. You know, you yeah. don't, I've never seen any trouble except on the odd European game, but nothing ever horrible. Mm. It, it's not going to cause riots. It's not going to cause World War Three. Just show us what's happening. That's all. I'm not asking for much. I'm, I'm really not. I'm asking to see why did you make that decision? And maybe I'll, I might agree with you. And then I'll yeah. say, actually, do you want ref? I don't agree with you, but good job. Because you, you made the right call. I don't agree with it, but you made the right call. Yeah. And it, it is fascinating because I remember. Gosh, 1998 World Cup. I I was we we saw the moldies out here. Bloody hell! Yeah, right. <laughs> I saw the United States play against uh, Iran, and Iran scored their second goal. And I remember everyone around me was like, "That was offside." And then when you look back at it, it's like not at all, like not at all. It's an absolutely the correct mm. decision, but people didn't know, and so people went home. Pe people left being so aggrieved and angry and then how does that spill maybe into the streets and things like that you could also say the counter if there's a horrible decision everyone sees it and knows they might also be mm. just as angry i don't think there's a simple simple solution to this aside from just as we said they need to just clean up the way they communicate and it does mm -hmm. help us to know I, I think it really would help us to know how it works I, there's something about this that's very british as well that's very cagey in terms of letting everyone know what's really going on because you want to protect certain people and you want to make sure that, you know, people who have no idea what's going on don't come out and try and ruin, you know, or, yeah, or take yeah. control of it. The refs definitely <clears throat> cloister their own, you know, they, they have their bubble. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the referees union. That's what we call it here. Yeah. They're all looking after each other and you know, you understand why they do. Yep. It, it, you've said it. It's a very hard job. I, I'm, I wouldn't like to do it. You could pay me a lot of money. I wouldn't want to do it. But if we understand what you're going through and how you're doing it, you know, we won't give you as much of a hard time about it. If we're left in the dark, you know, we'll, we'll act as people are now. Yep. Now, if we take it back to the actual initial uh, incident we were talking about, how do you, what are your feelings on um, what some people have been saying about, you know, just re just going back in that game? So they showed, you know, how the incident happened. The, the offside was wrongly called. And play continued. And in the whole time where the audio was happening, in the actual game, I think about six passes were made. There was nothing at all that happened. Yeah. What was your, what is your feeling on 
in that instance, stopping the game, looking at it and saying, right, sorry, VAR's made a mistake. We need to go back and we need to sort this out. Is that something that is a dangerous precedent to start reviewing reviews? Or is that sort of common sense coming in? I think it's more of common sense coming in because the incident itself was unique. It was very, it's mm. so rare that we see that kind of cock up happening, really, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, we've seen many, many decisions that we maybe don't agree with or something that if they had five more minutes, maybe they would have seen it a different way. Then it's different when they've actually completely missed something. And, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp asking for the match to be replayed because he's never seen this happen before when two years ago Liverpool benefited from a Wolves goal that was chalked off that was good, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that was a late, late winner. It wasn't yeah. just like the opening goal in the opening half. Um, it, it, so, uh, there's two there's two sides to this. One because uh, you do it's it's interesting when you when you match up the audio with the play like you said there's like maybe 20 seconds 30 seconds of play All and of nothing yeah. and, and nothing happened right at least nothing happened now if a goal had been scored now we've got a whole big other problem Absolutely. right yeah so that's why you can't necessarily make a blanket statement that well if there's a mistake we can go back and review it because you should not Right. I, you, you cannot start going back in time as like just a matter of course. Now, because this was so unique, once that ball went out of play, I would have had no problem personally with them saying, look, you know, going to the coaches and saying, look, there's been a massive error. Um, but then think about fans in the stadium. Right. All of a sudden we've awarded a goal. I mean, you want to talk about confusion and chaos. <laughs> Everyone in the in that Tottenham Hotspur stadium would have been mind blown. Liverpool fans mm -hmm. would have been like, "Wait, what? They counted the yeah. goal?" And then all the Spurs fans would have been like, "How on earth is this possible?" Now, look, Ange Postecoglou, love the guy. I think he's been he's very measured. He's he seems very 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 sane in the way he deals with a lot of things. But if you're a Spurs fan, you know the rule is that once play restarts, that's it. So now. Are the rules, are you okay with the rules having been sort of broken for the integrity of the game? It's like, So, it, again, it, it just creates more debate. Well, In this, this scenario, is, I wouldn't have minded it, but I do see where a lot of people would have disagreed, right? Absolutely. But we've had, I, you know, I was talking to a colleague at work yesterday. We've had this before because do you remember during the, the COVID era of football where Man United were awarded a penalty after the full-time yes. whistle? You know, yes. we've had this again. It's a, it, every instant is slightly separate. It's Brighton, right? We've had this. Uh, I think it was Brighton or Fulham. Yeah, I think it was Brighton. Brighton. It was Brighton. Yeah, right. Okay, no, my mistake. Yeah, Neil Mope. Um, yep, Neil Mope yeah. handball. Yeah, that's what it was. And you know, we've that is the fact that you finished the game and we're gonna go back and review something. You know, we've had these instances before, and it again, it's easier for them. Then there's no fans. You know, cool. You just got twenty two angry players to deal with. And I think was Ronaldo there? No, Ronaldo wasn't there at that time. No, no, no. That would have yeah. made it. E that would have made it easier. Um, but again, the transparency. If they had stopped the game twenty seconds later, made an announcement on the PA in the stadium, like you say, spoken to the coaches and showed everyone, and said, "Right, this is what happened. There was an error. Klopp, Postecoglou, seventy thousand fans in the um, in Tottenham Stadium. Look what happened. You may not disagree with it." 
it's a goal. Sorry, okay, so it, it just how, is. How about the other alternative that's been spoken about, which I'll, I'll be honest, right off the bat, this just pisses me off. <laughs> the idea of, well, we we're gonna go to Spurs and say, hey, just let Liverpool score. That that one for me, like it was like what was it Leeds against Villa uh, when yeah. they were both in the championship. The Bielsa. Yeah, yeah, and and Bielsa allowed Villa to go and score on them because they wanted to match mm-hmm. up. And and that that I completely disagreed with at the time. I thought Bielsa was being way too nice. And um, in this scenario, the idea of saying, "Well, look, this has happened. Um, Spurs, why don't you let Liverpool just go down and score a goal?" Mm. That I'm not okay with. I don't. I don't agree with this. Like, oh, let's just mediate the situation and make everyone feel better. It's like it's either you make a decision as referees. You don't just start leaving it up to the others to officiate and and decide what happens in the game. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good thing. As much as but, Jurgen Klopp wants to, you know. <laughs> gosh, I mean the whole the whole replaying the match. You wanted to, we want to talk about another one that's probably more egregious than that Man United Brighton one because that pissed me off too. I was like, look, I I was happy to see Man United not win that match, and then all of a sudden, after the final whistle, you know. So th- that was sort of my way of looking at it, but. Then there was the, I believe it was Villa against Sheffield United, right at the very beginning of the restart after COVID. Mm-hmm. There was a ball that went into the top corner and was sort of fished out by the goalkeeper, and goal line technology failed. Oh, and they admitted yeah. it. They were like, goal yeah. line technology did not work. And this was with 11 games to go in the season. Both teams were fighting relegation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. Did Sheffield United get relegated that season? I believe they did. I, believe, so, the, I think this is the first time they, they've been up since the season, yeah. So, you know, that was another incident of something that is supposed to be, you know, black and white, factual technology failed. There was no replay of the match. There was no let's allow them to score. There was none of that. Um, and so there's also a point to this where I'm just like, look, it's a game and a spectacle. So... I know there's a lot of money involved in it. I know that there's important things in it, but one incident is not going to decide whether or not you win or lose. Like there are millions of other minutes. There's so many other situations. You shouldn't have conceded this goal. You shouldn't have, you know, the, there's a million things that can happen where you can't just go back and say, well, that incident is why we got relegated mm-hmm. with 10 games to go. It's like, well, did you yeah. not pick up points against other teams on the way? So that that's why it's like at a certain point, everyone has to just be like, there is a margin of error. It's okay. Like that. Mm. That's just the way it is. There, there has to be from fans, players, coaches, everyone, a sort of just a little bit of a margin where you say, sometimes these things may happen. And obviously, if something egregious happens, how do you fix it? And you know, like like we said, that when you watch Fulham Chelsea, and actually they said the same thing about the Burnley um, Luton game that you could hear them being very careful, very descriptive, not talking over each other and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing the best they could to make sure they got it right. I think that they just got so comfortable in all their, you know, the way that they shrink their language, the way they say things quickly, people talking over each other. I think they got so comfortable with their ability to get decisions right because you could hear the guy go, yep, check complete, check complete. It's fine. Go. And then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So it's about slowing slowing down, remembering that you do have to take 
extreme care with every single situation. Um, Absolutely. You don't yeah. just blow through a review and go, yeah, we do this every day, every game. You know, we know how to do it. It's clear. Because mm-hmm. when you make a mistake like this, it then brings the whole entire thing into, you know, question, disrepute, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it it's just fascinating. I, look, VAR is here to stay. Um, there's no question. They're not going to bin it. And the reality is, no. if we like, look, should we replay the 1986 World Cup uh, match between <laughs> Argentina and England? I mean, you know, and, and we can go back and see. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you know, and actually there's a really interesting uh, pre-VAR incident of this where final of the 2006 World Cup, Zinedine Zidane headbutts Marco Matarazzi. Course, yeah. Nobody saw it, but a fourth official, I, I guess either he did see it or he caught it on a screen or something like that and and then let the referees know and they gave a red card, right? Now, I mm-hmm. play hadn't. Play hadn't restarted yet because Matarazzi was on the floor, but you know the the officials essentially missed it, and they and and someone went through correct. I, I do think the guy saw it on on some kind of screen, or maybe mm. a, like or maybe on the big screen. It was something like that. It would be and, hard to miss on the big screen. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> so the correct decision is made. Um, and I, look, I, it's there is there are precedents for moments where the officials have done what they need to do to get a decision right we also have seen many 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 decisions where you you think it's one way and then oh wow actually that was a goal or actually that wasn't a goal Mm -hmm. but then with var i think the most difficult part is at what point do they need to insert themselves in really minute things and for them it's kind of a in, in my opinion, it's damned if they do, damned if they don't. Because we all can go and, I mean, we can basically sleuth every single angle that we have available to us and point out a mistake. Mm-hmm. And and this does happen every now and again where people are like, well, look, this happened. And so then they're embarrassed because they should have done their job. So now they're going to be extra careful. Now they're looking at letter of the law for everything. And, um, you know, in the Champions League this week, there were three controversial handballs, all of which the initial decision by the referee I actually agreed with, but it was the VAR review that went by the official letter of the law and then either chalked off a goal, awarded a penalty, did not award a penalty, whatever the situation was. And yeah, I, I think it's just a very, very, very difficult thing for the officials because the expectations of fans is that every decision is as close to right as possible. But then you find out there's two sides. Some people are going to believe one. And so, I mean, I'm sure when you watch review shows on Sky or whatever, I mean, we, we I see them all the time here. You've got three, four X pros on a panel. And half of them think handball and the other half don't. So like, we we've been following this sport, you know, at this highest level for over for 30 years. And like you said, we we don't know what a handball really is or is not. And a lot of it just comes down to the situation, the feeling, what the ref sees, the little bit of nuance that the game just has in abundance. And can can everyone just kind of get over it if a decision doesn't necessarily go their way? Because the other team feel it has gone their way. Mm. Um, you know, Gary Lineker says no and Roy Keane says yes and then you got Jamie Carragher saying 
you'll never walk alone. And <laughs> my career is just anywhere. screaming in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> look at my haircut, mate. Oh, good, big meeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Michael, here, look, go get have some more food. Off you go. Come on, be quiet. Um, yeah, I mean, end of the day, it's it's a poor decision, a poor situation. If we can learn from it, fantastic. If we see the transparency that we're looking for, fantastic. If it helps shape the system to actually start working in, great. Will I ever want still want VAR in football? No. I enjoy the just the unprecedented nature of football. And you know, is if it goes your way, if it doesn't go your way. It's football. You, you love it. You hate it. You cry. You laugh. It's part of the beautiful game. But VAR, know its place. Try not to make it too perfect. Try not to get every single decision right because you never will. And it will end up ruining the game. Simple as. So I've had one idea before we move on to Chelsea because that's really the what the we're, we're sort of on the bread side of this this po- podcast. We'll we'll spend most of it on Chelsea. But uh, two things. One. I think that referees should actually be the head honcho in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that if I'm a referee, uh, I, I know that the way referees have, they have to be decisive, right? Like that's the way that they're trained and everything. But when there's VAR, use it as a tool to help you. I don't think that VAR should be the omnipresent, like God of the situation. I think it should be the referee where they say, you know, there's been a tackle in the box and the referee says tells the guys i'm awarding a penalty Mm. okay but i am not really sure about this you know what does my assistant say the assistant says well you know i think you may have gotten this wrong you know from my angle you may have gotten this wrong so then he says hey var load me up a quick uh review of this i'm gonna go and make my decision and so what they do is they facilitate here's a few angles here's real Mm -hmm. speed you know, because that's another thing about the Curtis Jones one. Everyone was like, well, in real time, it's a yellow card. In slow motion, it's a four-game suspension. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you expect the referees to do about that, right? I think that because they are on the field and they can sense things. They can sense when a player is, you know, being cynical. If Out You, can, you yeah, can tell yeah. when a player is a little bit on edge where they, they're – getting reckless just in the way that they're they're behaving you can see it coming that's probably a player you should book that's probably a player who's about to foul somebody but a a guy who's just going about his business gets to a tackle a quarter of a second late and steps on someone's foot does he need to be yellow carded for that and as a referee you can tell and and that's where the whole intent and oh he's tried to do him and all that thing that they say the referees are the ones who they are around the players. They're talking to the players. They're the ones that really feel the situation. I think they should be in total control of the final decision. And it shouldn't be VAR saying, we recommend you go to the screen and reverse your decision. And here are the rules, you know, bullet point uh, in, you know, section A, B of the code. It says that this kind of tackle at this point in the heel is, is classified as a red card. So you have to give a red card. The referees have their hands tied completely here. They basically similar to the to the assistant referees who have flags you're starting to wonder what the hell are those even for if var is going to if semi automated var can essentially put their role as deciding mm-hmm. offside you know not a thing then you know it, it's as if var actually referees the game and not the referee and i think if you're the right. referee and- was more in charge and just said look i want to see it again just so that i can be 
clear in what I have decided. And if I want to change my mind, I can change my mind. And you will see fewer of the situations where the moment he goes to the monitor, you already know what's going to happen, right? Mm. I mean, really it's, it's in the name. Deciding. It's, yeah, it, it, VAR is virtual assistant referee. Yep. The linesman isn't going to be making, you know, he isn't going to be calling penalties and that's going to happen. You're an assistant referee, assist the referee. Mm-hmm. Simple as. But yeah, like I say, it's taken on this God almighty sort of formula and needs to be knocked down a few pegs. And hopefully this decision will. Hopefully it will put it back in its place where it should be. And, you know, this is it's another situation where AI puts people out of jobs. I don't know if you watched the U.S. Open, but my goodness. So the U.S. Open um, in tennis I have to make that clear because there's also one in golf, but the U S open in tennis uh, was, you know, just a few weeks after Wimbledon at Wimbledon, you see line judges bloody everywhere, just surrounding the court, the U S open. It was naked. There was like two ball kids on, on each side. And that was it because everything was done with AI and challenges were essentially useless. It didn't make sense to challenge because the AI is right. And it called it immediately. So you saw no challenges at the U.S. Open, none, because there's no point. It's already done by the machines and the calls are all correct, which I thought was fascinating to see. Right. So they can do this. And and I know with tennis, it's different because of the lines and everything. But also, like we said, the 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 Premier League has so much money, they need to be able to do this. Now, the second point I was going to bring up was. Was it 14? I don't remember how many of the 20 clubs voted down the use of the semi-automated offside technology that we've seen in the Champions League, that we saw in the World Cup. You know, apparently there was a it got voted down by the Premier League. Maybe Luton voted it down because they don't have the infrastructure. Fine. But how many teams actually said, nah, we're good on that, which is completely mindless, in my opinion. It, uh, and so I, that is a big, big, big question is is who was on board with not bringing in technology that we've seen work in the World Cup, in the Champions League. And so why would we not use it in the Premier League? I thought that that was th- that's a weird one that we still need to get to the bottom of. Again, it's these it's these situations that are shrouded in mystery and secrecy. Um again it comes down to transparency yep it'd be be lovely to know who voted for it who didn't vote for it and why because we've seen it implemented and it was one of the the recent innovations to football that i was really um really for it it worked really well we didn't have any controversy and like you say with the the us open there's no challenging it it's it's there it's done you can't manipulate it it's not because of someone's put the line in the wrong place or someone said all clear or you know decision okay or whatever you know terminology they were using the var office it's something that can't be argued with if the rules are clear and you know you can program this to make the rules clear it's done i I, yeah i'd like to know why but we never will because we don't want they don't want us commoners and us fans getting involved in all these things and shouting our voices. Yeah, we did it in the Super League and that was bad enough. But to do it to other leagues, oh, I can't have that. No, God, can't have the people paying the money to see these teams get involved, can we? I'm really cynical today, actually. That's okay. Well, that's what VAR does to people. It just makes us, it it gets us on edge. But um, (laughs) I mean, look, if we all, as Chelsea fans, we know if goal line technology had been around in 2005. 2005, yeah. The ghost goal, the, as Mourinho calls no it. No night in Istanbul, would there? Yeah, exactly. And so, it, again, it's where you go back and you think throughout history, this has always happened. Why all of a sudden do we need to be seeking perfection when it's never existed? 
Um, and we all yeah. got on with it for decades and decades. So, yeah, VAR. We'll see if it improves. I, th- I Again, I love the transparency of the video. If any of you have not heard the audio, go listen to it. It sounds like, yeah, I said Apollo 13 because, that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it at that. Also sounds like a plane crashing, quite frankly. It's just insane. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, Blues Cruise. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> wow, our Chelsea in crisis. Well, as as I like to think, nowhere near the level of Manchester United, but... Uh, we also no. do have a goalkeeper who takes crazy liberties and looks completely relaxed while doing it. Um, but I'd say things aren't so bad. Uh, and I was really, really, really encouraged with the general vibe of the team during the Fulham match. So where do you think we're at right now? How do you, how, Where are we as Chelsea fans? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we started talking about this before Chelsea had beaten Fulham. We're like, we need to do a Chelsea, Chelsea episode. Are they in crisis? Because Chelsea, for the last season and 11 games, or however much we're in now, we've always been teetering on the edge of crisis. Um, although, like I said, I think we use crisis far too much. Um, Chelsea so far this season, I think if we hadn't got these last two wins, I would be using a lot more expletives. I think it's been very a very, very poor start to the season. I think it's it's felt like a hangover from last season where it was just miserable. Yeah. And watching a Chelsea game was a chore. Going to Stamford Bridge was a chore. I did it more for the social experience than watching the football because we'd show up and I knew we'd lose. And it dragged on to the in the beginning of the season you know, when we lost to Forest. I was like, this is the same old rubbish, yeah, you know, that we've put up with for a season now. But slowly, and I emphasize slowly, but surely. Things are looking to gel a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's because the the squad is a bit more shrunk down or if it's because of the manager or whatever's happening right now. It's starting to feel a bit more like a team. People start to know their roles. There starts that you can see a system of play working. Um, you can see players who had zero confidence last season actually now start to find their feet a little bit. Um Magic so I'd, I'd say oh, the relief on Mudruk's face, you could just, you felt it. And I was so happy for that kid because this season, the guy's tried. Like, out of all of our attacking players, the guy has run his socks off and he's pushing himself. And I will give Pochino credit for sticking with him because that's what the guy needed. He needed five, six games of just get on the ball. Just get on the ball. Get on the ball touch the ball, get a feel for things because you can't do it in 15 minutes. You can't do it in half a game every two weeks. Now he's got that run. Good on him. I'm really happy. Um, but overall, I've got to say a C plus if I'm giving us a letter grade for 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 the season so far. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, C plus sounds good. Just plenty of room to go up from there, which is plenty. Good. And there's not a plenty of room whole... to go down as well. Well, well... <laughs> I think F was last season, right? Just giant yeah. F. Um, mm-hmm. A zero would have been relegation. Um, but, you know, I think they ended up with like a three to four out of 10, we'll say. And I think right now they're sitting at a five, six, um, maybe like, you I'll know, something fair, like that. Yeah. Um, look, it is a lot of young players. I think when you looked at the, when you look at some of the, the lineups that we have, you've got guys who, I mean, 
this really is the beginning of their careers in a lot of ways. I mean, Leslie Ogachukwu, I'll be honest with you, I did not, I'd never heard of him. And I and I I'd seen him play, but I just never registered because he is he doesn't do much yeah, that it he's, that in, the, makes he's you, just in the background. Yeah, I I'd seen I'd seen him play in Liga. And I realized that after I sort of looked back, I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, oh, well, I must have watched him play because I've seen, I, mm. but I just don't remember him at all. Um, so, you know, you got a guy like him. Then you got a guy like Mudrik, who a lot of people have spoken about the fact that he is, he has the potential to be a, a world like a Ballon d'Or winner because of a lot of different things about him. There's people around him, coaches who have said, this guy, this guy is the absolute, like he, who knows how good he can be. Mm. And then you watch him just in the last year and you're like, really? I mean, kind of, I see the tag. It, it, he is a fascinating case, but then there's also the players who were brought in uh, early in the bully era that didn't work out. And a lot of those have already been shifted on. I mean, think of Bamiyang being one, right? Kukurea, who basically had a good start in terms of his first two matches for Chelsea. And then it just went off a cliff and he's actually been mm -hmm. quite good. The last two games at right back. Imagine that. Yeah. I mean, the, the game against um, Brighton in the, the EFL cup, I, yeah. I, I, I was there and I was watching it and I, I said to the guys, I was like, this is a man reborn. I mean, this is a guy who wanted out, who you know very publicly made it aware that you know Man United were trying to get a loan deal for him, and he wanted the move. And you can't blame him; he wasn't playing. And when he was, it was five minutes here and there. But these injuries to to Cole, uh, to uh, Chilwell and James seem to have done him the world of good. And if yeah. he can keep this momentum, you know, he was getting a lot of praise in these last two games. You could see the fans saying. Mate, keep going. We're loving the tackles. We're loving the the energy there, and we're loving the the physicality that you bring to this because there's not a lot of Chelsea players that do. It, it was great. It was great to see and just out of nowhere. Yeah, that that actually came through um, on Sunday uh, during the Fulham Chelsea match. It look just watching on uh, on television, you could hear how much the Chelsea fans were backing him and urging him on, but. That was probably the most the, – the reason why the Fulham match was so – it felt like a corner turned was, first of all, Caicedo finally played well. Um, he did. It's because he looked like an absolute waste of money um, in comparison to, say, Alexis McAllister, who was his partner last season at Brighton, went for $30 million to Liverpool. He, you know – so Caicedo started to play well. Enzo is – I don't understand how he's as good as he is. I, like, it's shocking that – He's actually completely worth the money. I mean, it's it's not Absolutely. even it's not even a joke. And and I've been just blown away by how good he really is and how mature he plays for a young mm -hmm. guy like that. Um, but you know, he and Caicedo were hugging each other when Mudrik scored. Right? Yeah. You could sense a a sort of urging on togetherness in the team. Watching the game here, I mean, just on my mm -hmm. laptop, I could watch it, and I was like, "There's something." building in the way the team believes in each other and is rubbing off on each other and this is what's kind of cool about it. it to me I mean they really did overhaul the squad I think the only two players from the Champions League victory are Reese James and Ben Chilwell I think everyone yeah. else from that team is gone Tiago Tiago Silva Tiago Silva right so yeah other than those three you have a completely new team who I mean yes these guys are happy to be you know, probably being paid very well playing at the highest level, but they also know 
I mean, if you fail at Chelsea and they shift you on somewhere else, it it, it can you ain't it got can, no options. Yeah, it can damage your career because you may be on too big of a contract for someone that wants to take you to take you, and then the club just kind of filters you out on loan, and then your career just sort of peters out. And we've seen it mm-hmm. with many players. And so, and yes, we've seen some go away and you know do a Kevin De Bruyne or a Mo Salah, but I, I do see this as a young group that is like we have got to find a way, and if we stick together and work together, things will steadily improve. And, and it's it, that Fulham Chelsea match really did feel. Like there's an energy there. Um, seeing Broya come back and score. I mean, also Big thank up, you, man. Tim. Thank Big you, Tim Broya, Ream. Man. Thanks a lot for the double for, for the double <laughs> yeah. da- uh, the double cheeseburger on that one. But uh, no, I mean uh, Cole Palmer. At first, I was like, really? I mean, sure, fine. But uh, I mean, he was excellent. Showed real yep. class. And you're all of a sudden looking around the squad, going, everyone's pulling their weight except Raheem Sterling which is not the worst place to be that all of these young guys are building up and going and he still has something to offer and give. And hopefully he gets there because he's been incredibly, I think the biggest disappointment in the Bowley era for me is Raheem Sterling. Just absolutely doing what he should be right. No, not at all. I think the only person for me that outdoes him in being useless was Romelu Lukaku. But I know that wasn't oh, yeah. really a Bowley era signing, but you know, since Bowley's come in. But yeah, Raheem Sterling, he doesn't the thing about him is again compared to these young players who really sort of, like you say, give a damn and they're pushing and they're striving together. When you watch Raheem Sterling, he doesn't give it. He just sort of walks around and he's waiting for something to happen. And it's it's my biggest gripe with the Chelsea team in general. But focusing on Raheem Sterling is that he will not lead from the front. He will never be the player to say, guys, I set the level here. Yeah. You follow me. You know, someone like Eden Hazard, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba, you know, all of these players in Chelsea's history, Raheem Sterling will not do that. And he has no intention of doing that. You know, he's happy getting paid 325 grand a week. He didn't come to Chelsea to be the leader. He does, I don't think he wants to be the leader. He's here to do his job and he he doesn't have that that fire inside him. And I'm sure he would say different if you interviewed him. Because uh, he, for me, uh, he just doesn't have the Chelsea players, uh, not players, the Chelsea fans on his side. You know, we yeah. see him come on and it's it's a little, okay, cool, give him a little applause here and there. But you never, when, you know, other players come, when Bro- Breuer came on, the the screams around Stamford Bridge when he came on against Brighton, were like, Breuer is back. Thank God. And this is a, an academy player. You know, Raheem Sterling, international, you know, Man City, glorious amount of cup one one, but Chelsea fans don't don't give a crap because you get the the intent the uh, you get the the feeling he doesn't give a crap. It's interesting because uh, my view and look look I think if you're in the stadium you see a lot that you don't see um, if you're just watching on a screen right. Um, mm. you, you get to see him off the ball when the when the cameras aren't on when the ball is away you can see maybe his demeanor and. Here's my biggest issue with Ryan Sterling. I actually think he's trying too hard to be the head honcho in the sense that like he will demand the ball and be like, I, I, I'm on the right side. Give me the ball. I'm I'm going to start this play. I, sort of the way Eden Hazard used to do. He used to sort of sit on the sure. sideline and be like, just give it to me. I'll yeah, take I'll care figure of it, it out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 
and and it, it seems that he does that at times and he'll get frustrated when someone doesn't give him the ball and he'll get angry when he's sort of open at the back post and they don't cross to him and they shoot instead but then the problem is he's guilty of all of those same things as what is supposed to be the guy with his head screwed on straight the guy who makes good decisions in attack the guy who at times i'm like why are you dribbling just freaking pass the ball to one of your teammates you're trying to do this all yourself and so there's to me there's this weird place where it's almost like he thinks he is the best player in the team and should be mm. sort of the leading goal scorer the leading all this stuff but he's not delivering a individually or b as a team player and i mean that yeah. good is great game against luton fantastic well yeah, luton are a championship well, side they're a championship exactly. side and and I think that that's telling that the only match he's been a difference maker was against a team that was essentially just poor. And mm-hmm. in other matches, it's like if you get him off the field and you put in someone who just wants to work for the group, you might get more out of it. So I, I see a I'm weird saying, thing I'm... where it's he, he seems to care, but more about if he's contributing rather than if he's helping the team. Right. I Yeah, I can see that it's <laughs> it's. You can see it as more a bit of an egotistical kind of situation. But, yeah, I think I speak for a lot of Chelsea fans where I would much rather see Ian Matson on the field than I'd see Ian, uh, Raheem Sterling. Ian Matson, young kid, again, yes, linked away um, in the previous transfer winner to Burnley. But he's come in, he's taken his minutes well, he's not moaned, he's gotten on with it. And he, he seems like he wants to make a mark at Chelsea. And that's he's good. The, yeah, it's the minimum Chelsea fans demands. You come in and actually want to make an impact. And and you feel you look at all these young players. You look at people like Jackson, who he's he has his off moments. I like five him, of them. You know, I I like him. Yeah, I think he puts himself around maybe a little bit too much and talks to the referee way too much. Um, but he wants to get in there. He wants to get stuck in. He wants to drop deep and get the ball. He wants to body people. Great. All these other players are doing this. You know, Levi Colwell's come in and made a difference. He was a bit shaky oh, at excellent. first. You know, it was really he was finding his feet in that Chelsea team. But the fact that he could now outrank sort of Benoit Badi Shield when he comes back to fitness is only going to do what good for Chelsea. No, oh, I think he Cole wants will, to be there. Cole is exceptional. I, 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 I was looking at the England, uh, just sort of looking at the England under twenties that won the the Euros, and then thinking mm-hmm. about thinking about the generation, not the guys who are twenty six, twenty seven, the ones that are under twenty five. I think that is the golden generation for England, right? You got Saka, Bellingham. Right, Cole will. There's Mate, a lot, miss. a oh. lot of unbelievable players in this who are playing at the highest level right now. And and the thing about them is they don't look like guys who are they they look like full blown like professionals, like as in experienced professionals, and they're 20, mm-hmm. 21 years old. They're they're playing with the maturity beyond their years. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them. Which, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's there's england's going to be i think outstanding at the next world cup i really do think that they have the Let, let's let's yeah. not get too excited straight look, away. Look, look. <laughs> I, I know the way this goes i know how this goes it's 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 it gets it's, de- it, it's years and years and years okay. of the same kind of thing but but no i mean so with all that said i mean who uh, of the players who are sort of newer to the squad, who's impressed you the most? Um, not necessarily one individual, but um, play, players who were actually brought in, not ones that maybe came through the academy mm-hmm. or or have been around, but players who were brought in. Uh, and obviously Enzo will take him off the table because it's obvious. Um, sure. Who else yeah. that was brought in I mean, are, you, are you quite happy with? 
I've been, I mean, if you'd asked me this at the back end of last season, I would have said Noni Madueki. I think he went in a really good run the back end of last season and he doesn't seem to be in Pochettino's good books right now. You know, there was that social media video of him out partying when he wasn't in the squads and all this and hopefully he can put that behind him. But you, you've mentioned him already, Cole Palmer. I was in the exact same situation as many Chelsea fans. How much are we paying for someone who's played less than 20 Premier League games? 40, 40, 40 million, right? Okay. That sounds like a disaster. Um, and... He looks gangly. He looks a bit Peter Crouch-esque, obviously nowhere near at all. But he hasn't got much meat on him. And you're just like, what is he going to bring to this team? He's not a striker. He's not. He, he, he reminded me of Kai Havertz. And I was like, for love of God, we've just got rid of Kai Havertz. I can't be dealing with another player who hasn't got a position. But the last two, three games, the guy gets the ball and he's gone. He turns and he's like, right, who wants this? And two assists in two games for a, what, a 20, 21-year-old? Great start. Yeah. His link-up play is phenomenal. His ability to go to link that sort of Enzo Gallagher line in midfield to the Jackson, Mudrooks, Matson, Sterlings, whoever up top. That's almost not not a number 10, but maybe like more of a shadow striker. He will keep getting better. And I am fully on the Cole Palmer hype train now. And there are no breaks on this train. We are going. Cole Palmer is the way now. <laughs> I love it. So I'll actually throw mine in there, and it's Nico Jackson. And I I think it's because when you when you basically have a great six months at the you have a great second half of the season at Villarreal, and all of a sudden you're brought into Chelsea. I I have to admit I didn't expect him to be. I don't know. He he just he he doesn't seem to ask himself too many questions about what he can and cannot do. Yes, mm. he's missed some really good chances, but the two things. There's two things that I really, really like about him. One, like you said, he puts himself about, he gets his body in on players and he's strong and he's so young. I mean, imagine when he fills out, like when he gets bigger and fills out, are we looking at a potential DDA Drogba type of player? Not, not that level of legendary, (laughs) not that level of course, you know, but are we looking at someone who can do similar things? Right. The other thing that I love about him um, and it, it, this is such an underrated skill is driving with the ball at, at speed with your mm-hmm. head up and just waiting for that last baiting the defenders to come in. At some point, they can't just back away from you. At some point, they've got to approach you. And what I found he's done very, very well is do that and not overplay. He finds the pass. He's, he's does it very, very well. He's an excellent player in transition, I think to be carrying the ball. I'm not saying he's the one that should be finishing, but he's very, very, very good at running at full speed with the ball and and putting defenses on the back foot. So I love those two things about him. He's unlucky that he's suspended right now because I don't know if you saw the fifth yellow card. Did you, do, you, do you know what happened? Um, it was... I didn't, uh, I, I didn't see the fifth one, but I've seen one through four. And, right, where know, he Pochino just... You know, warned him. Just like, stop, just leave it. I know you're, you're frustrated. I know you're talking... You will get carded, and we, you know, Breuer isn't ready to be playing every week. Just shut up, get on with it. So uh, the I, I, the I didn't fifth see the fifth one, one. The fifth one was there was a free kick for like an offside or foul or something. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think this was against Nottingham Forest. Um, was it previous game where you got uh, Aston Villa? Villa, Villa. That's, that's right. Last, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where, last that's one what it was. Yeah. 
So the the goalkeeper sets the ball down and he's literally backing away. And he's like five yards away and backing away and got a yellow card. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it is the most weird. Like when I saw it, I was like, how? Like mm. how? You can stand in front of a free kick and just stand there. And we see it all the time. Yeah. And he got one for essentially being five yards away and starting to walk backwards. It was ridiculous, yeah, okay, in fine. my opinion. And, and look, young guy, fiery, has gotten in the ref's face about one or two things. And they, to be honest, are really tetchy on this right now as well. Yep. So, in a way, I, I'm not worried about his discipline. I, he, he, and he's he's just such a hardworking guy. I think he's going to bring a lot. And for he doesn't look, for instance, compare him and Mudrik. Mudrik, mm-hmm. and I know Mudrik is probably going through a lot of other stuff, considering he's Ukrainian, but... Mudrik looked a little more scared, under pressure, worried. Jackson doesn't really seem to be that bothered with the no. with the pressure or anything like that. And now that he's got at least one goal, I mean, scored two. Um, one was disallowed against Brighton, but he he's I think he's really he's going to be a player that you can count on in some way. If 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 he ends up not being the best, you could probably sell him on for a really good chunk of change because he's he's talented. So yeah. I like what he's brought. Um in terms of players that have been around, who do you think is like okay, enough with the talk of letting this guy go. We need to keep this person because they are going to be crucial in and and very difficult to replace if you do sell them on. Sure. Who who would you put there? <sighs> There's, there's only one guy, and uh, I, I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion. or It's Conor Gallagher. I'm with you. Conor, 100% with Conor you. Conor Gallagher, this this little blonde lion in midfield, and my, you know, other people that I've spoken to, is, oh, he's, he's no good. He, all he is is he tackles, and that's... No. The, this guy over the summer has grown, not just in his technical ability, but his mental ability. He knows when to get that ball and how to distribute. You know, he's he's never going to be an Enzo Fernandez in terms of his range of passing, but the breakup of play that he provides before you even get to Enzo Fernandez and uh, Caicedo, you know, it's like having three holding mids, but at least two of them can run forward and distribute. He has been phenomenal for me, and there were all the talks about him going to Newcastle for forty mil. No. Just this guy, I know he is playing as captain at the moment, but this is a kid to build around. And I might yeah. get laughed at. I might get comments saying, listen, he's overhyped. He's nowhere near as good as Mason Mount and all that. Well, a Mason Mount can do one. It's about Gallagher. I completely agree. And I, look, I know a lot of people say, well, he's not that technical. Look, I'll be honest with you. When I watch him, when I watch him, there are times where I'm like, oh, he's going to give the ball away. And he doesn't. And it's exactly. not because he is so, so technical, but it's because he's actually so intelligent. The fact that he can go and press three players in a three in a one-on-three and force a turnover, you don't mm-hmm. do that just by running around. Like You have to cut off angles. You have to understand when the opponent has taken a touch that isn't ideal, and now you can put them under that, just that little bit more pressure and, and, and tension. And... I mean, you know, I think when you look at Chelsea right now and you see a guy like that with the armband on and you know that 
Reese James is club captain. And then you see mm-hmm. Levi Colwell coming through uh, and doing fantastic. Ian Matson, so happy as well. He wasn't sold. Armando Broya, I'm really glad they didn't just let him go to West Ham last season. They actually extended his yeah. contract and kept him. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see the academy putting four or five players in in the starting lineup on a weekly basis, which we never saw during the Abramovich era, really, until Lampard no, we, came we, in. Yeah, exactly. We saw it at the Lampard. This is the second coming of the academy, and it has the potential to be better. I mean, we've seen the the first generation for Kaya Tamori, Tammy Abraham, that lot go out to great clubs and succeed. But you know, we want the guys here who want to be here. And Matson, Gallagher, Colwell, they all give the impression they want to be here. Well, and, and I feel for the guys who got shoved out the door. I mean, Ruben Loftus Cheek's tearing it up at AC Milan. Of course, that was going to happen. Right? Yeah, to but, me, it was uh, like- but he was. It, it was I as much as I didn't want that move to happen. It had to happen for him. Yeah, because exactly. the guy does the guy deserves it. Same with, same with Christian Pulisic as well. The and guy was never and has, yeah, never bad footballers. Just never given the chance in an ever rotating team with ever rotating managers. You know, it, yeah. it just it never worked. Ruben had his injury you know, problems. Then he was liked under Sari. Then not liked under everyone else. Kid was a great footballer and he's finally getting the recognition he deserves. And he's playing Champions League football and Chelsea are down in 11th. So good on him. Yeah, I, I agree. Good Gallagher. What the, the other thing, that what you, the, the thing that you've mentioned about the intelligence is, is spot on. Because yes, he runs for 90 plus minutes. The guy has got like a Michael Essien-esque engine. It's incredible. It. Yeah. And he's never injured. Also, which is a godsend at Chelsea, but <laughs> but I think a lot of people who don't watch football a lot, say like my girlfriend for example, they she thinks they're just you know prima donnas running around. To be mentally switched on for ninety minutes, as well as physically switched on for ninety minutes, is very rare. Yeah, and he seems to have it all. And while Reese James is out, not being captain, I'll stand behind Conor Gallagher any day. Well, it's funny because I think that last season he was like the only player scoring goals at a certain point, like at the end of the, <laughs> yeah. it was like, it was like, okay, you can't sell the guy who's the only one scoring in a terrible team right now and a team that's yeah. just playing poor. And yeah, I mean it, so th- those are all really good, good things. I do think the squad was not very well constructed in terms of the signings. I also think this nice. bully era, a lot of the signings that they brought in, I feel were like, okay, we'll bring this guy in. And if we can sell them on in two years for a good amount of cash, like David Detro for fun, a lot of the guys that essentially went on loan who were brought course, in at the yeah. beginning of this, a lot of those are, I believe, financial decisions where it's like, if we hit, great, they'll play. If we don't, they're so young. And they like a guy like Leslie Gochukwu, like no one knew. It's not like he had a ton of hype. This is what I think is interesting mm. about a lot of the signings is that, that, that some of them, Yes, some were hyped up, but there's some that they went out and got that you didn't, you didn't, you'd never heard of and you'd never thought about. Right. And so they came in for relatively cheap. I mean, two players who I think could be outstanding are Andre Santos and Cesare Cassidy. So Cassidy is at Leicester, Santos is at Nottingham Forest. Those two Both are terrible low moves so far, unfortunately. Well, it hasn't uh, Cassidy? I know he has at least a goal at Leicester. I don't know how much he's been he, playing. He he got a goal in the EFL Cup, I think, in one of the earlier rounds, or the yeah. FA Cup, one of the earlier rounds. And I don't think he's got a lot of game time. And Andre Santos is yet to play a minute. 
Fanon the Forest. And that's that's a crying shame because yeah. I think he could have been useful in this period of time. But yeah, those I, two I mean, under, under 20 Brazil's captain, he the kids yeah. going places. Yeah, and those two, I think they're genuinely possible. They, they could really actually break into the first team in the next couple mm-hmm. of years. That's that's genuinely possible. Some of the others, I'm like, mm, but their resale value will go up. And 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 these look the 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 other thing I really want to mention is I know that the American owners that any American owner that comes in and does anything sort of weird says anything stupid or or makes weird decisions they're all going to get you know they're going to get buried for it fine nobody I think that's hilarious very quickly yeah yeah very quickly <laughs> but we talked about who's in crisis Chelsea Man United yes. Right, man. Think about Man United's crisis right now. You've got uh, Mason Greenwood. You've had to ship out to for to, to avoid PR disaster. Anthony's yeah. probably not far behind in the way it looks like it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got your best players are like Rafael Varane and Casemiro, who have already done their their. They've already won the Champions League multiple times. Varane's won the World Cup. Like these guys, they've already done the big things in their career, and now they're earning their big giant what you would think of as the Saudi Qatari payday. They're doing it at Man United, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, Man United have a goalkeeper who I think is good and talented, but he's he looks a lot like Robert Sanchez in the sense that when he makes a mistake, he's kind of like, well, you know, that's the way it goes and tries to keep calm. <laughs> and they make weird decisions from time to time. The Punches loss that they had to Galatasaray this week was just shocking. Oh, I mean, shocking. it was terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible. And and But I see a lot of aging players and listless players at Chelsea. I I do see a completely new thing growing and it's young and it needs time to develop. And you've got a new manager in who has a good track record in the Premier League. I mean, he's done nothing but succeed in the Premier League, right? Southampton and Spurs were both home run. You know what I mean? Okay. PSG. I I don't know why people bring up his time at PSG. Carlo Ancelotti failed there. Thomas Tuchel failed. No one succeeds at PSG. So, so, I do think Chelsea are going in the right direction. It may take more time than maybe some fans are willing to accept. But I also, I look at the criticism of this new ownership model who they're, what there's, uh, they just released plans to massively expand the academy uh, infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? They yep. just bought land on the other side of the road from Cobham to 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 go bigger They've been trying to figure out a way to expand the stadium. Very, very difficult based on the location it's in. Um, these are efforts. Man United's roof is leaking, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do we have really that bad of owners or are they guys who need to learn? Need to learn and understand because the amount of money they've put in is more than any other club in the world right now, including Absolutely. like Al Ittihad and you know Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So... <laughs> Is it really that bad? It's I mean, a tough one, right? It is tough. It's tough. I've been quite vocal on the owners. I, I've I've said that they have almost they they've been on the cusp of destroying what Chelsea is, and that still has they still haven't fully patched all those holes. Um, you know, they took over a club that you know two time Champions League winners, you know, five time Premier League winners, serial achievers, and we have two years of ownership just over and we've had a top half finish just about um we might 
might break into Conference League this season. I, we'll talk about um, sort of the aims of the season in a second. But what they, they obviously need to learn, yes. They've gone about everything, trying to do everything straight away. They've gone about it in a, in too of too much of a public fashion for my liking. Um, it, again, it you know it sort of contrasts with Roman Branovich, who was always in the background, and he found the best talents to go and do it, and he had the best people around him to advise him. And I don't think they've had that. I think they've perceived who are the best people on you know very short you know bits of data and said, right, this guy's good at signing people. Let's grab him because he's had a good good couple of seasons at Brighton. Let's bring him in. It, they haven't they haven't grasped the Premier League yet. They haven't grasped what it takes to own a Premier League club. And the all I see all these videos of them walking into the dressing rooms after the games, especially losses. It, it's just not what you do. And it's common yes. in America. Common in America. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. You, isn't it in the NFL that the, the owner of the team picks up the Super Bowl before the team? All the sports. All can of you the sports. Im- can you imagine yeah, that no. happening here? It would no. be outrage. But you need to do it in a less public fashion. Stick to the boardroom. We don't want to we don't want to hear from you. As Chelsea fans, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to know, oh well, we're doing this great thing. Bring out the PR statements. I don't want to see you on TV. I don't want to see you giving lectures at TED Talks and whatever about owning a Premier League club. Get the right people to do it. You know, get your Maria Graniskayas, get your uh, Bruce Bucks, get the people to do the right jobs. And the the, the, the club will run itself. Just make sure you've got the best people because they've been doing it too far. You know, he's been at every game so far, I think, which is great. It's good to see. But he just get out of the limelight. And he's, he's probably loving it. You know, I, I'm sure he's got a little WhatsApp group with all the other American owners in, in the Premier League because there are a lot now. There's like yep. 12 or 13. They've got so, they've yeah. definitely got their own WhatsApp group and they're all chatting, chatting to each other. So I'd see me on Premier League tonight and this, that and the other. Mate, supply the money. Make sure the club runs well. Make make some money as well. Make it profitable. That's all we need from you. Yeah, and I, I think that, that there is a cultural change there that they've got to sort of get their minds around um in terms mm. of their perception with the fans because what do we know i mean maybe them going into the uh dressing room how much does it does it bother some of the players maybe maybe some maybe some do not care maybe some are like well you yeah. know it, it, and it's not only in, in other countries it's owners do actually have a, a, a more power than they do england is probably the Absolutely, most yeah the most like where where there's traditions about what you do and do not do. I, I think there's a, and, and like we've said, you know, it's like, stay quiet, right? Like we don't want to hear from you. And we, and we've been talking, we talked about with VAR this, like, we don't want to say anything. We don't want to come out in public and make ourselves look dumb. These American owners don't care if they look a little bit silly coming out and saying something, as long as they're mm-hmm. like, look, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Uh, you got a problem with that. I've also paid all this. If I want to go into the dressing room and tell the players, good job, shake shake some hands, yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. If you're going to go in there and tell them it's embarrassing, which is what happened against Brighton last season when they got absolutely mm-hmm. annihilated. Again, I, I Abramovich was his own special breed uh, of owner. Very different from any other owner you saw around the world. He's so mm-hmm. unique. But I do remember times where he brought in people who people were like, what? Like, who is that guy? Like, Avram Grant. You're like, 
Yeah. Like you two oh. know each other Forgot from that all guy these... existed. I know, right? Um, what's the Nigerian guy's name who was there for ages I, and now he's in I know Saudi Arabia? About... Yeah, I don't know his name, but I know who's about the guy who who controlled transfers and player contact and everything. He was like he got plucked out of absolutely nowhere to to mm -hmm. start doing that job. And so there were some appointments that you're like, this is not best in class. This is someone you like who you think will work well in this. Now, there is a talent to plucking people out of sort of obscurity, putting them in a, in a role and having them succeed. But let's not pretend that in the Abramovich era, there weren't like dozens of insane signings that made no sense. I mean, keep in mind, Alexander Pato, Ricardo Quaresma, like those guys wore a Chelsea shirt at some point. And everyone was like, why? Very briefly. But you yes. know, yeah, briefly. But, but like, why? So... With rich owners, you're always going to get flops. If they're if they're willing to spend their money, you're going to get flops. But you're yeah. also going to get home runs. And I I just think that looking at the squad right now, th th there are definitely some players that that will probably not work. It, it just probably will not end up happening. But then there's others where you're like, man, that was wise. Like Nani Matuweki, again, player I'd never heard of before he signed for Chelsea. Um, and I know he's gone through a few things lately but I, I know he was also sort of struggling with an injury that's something that people said so he's he, i think he's a dead cert that if you want to sell him in two years you can sell him for double what you got him i think they got him for 20 million right yeah roughly and his talent is he's, he's very 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 good and and then i think about other guys um i think benoit badiashil has a good future ahead of him I don't know what's going to happen with Wesley Fofana, who I've always rated, but he, it, the ACL injury a, two years after a leg break, that's tough. That's tough for a kid. Yeah. And, and I, I, I wish him the best to be able to come back. Reese James is maybe the largest concern um, because it's like five hamstring injuries in two years. Yeah, and, and, and he makes rating. the team so much better, right? But... There's a lot of good things. I mean, Malo Gusto, I've, I was impressed with. I didn't think he would be as good. I, I saw him playing for Lyon last season. I was like, this guy's a little rough around the edges. Chelsea, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Caicedo, I was not remotely convinced in terms of for the money. Um, yeah. Would he be enough of a difference maker that you that essentially he's undroppable? I don't know, but he's it, it could get there. So, mm -hmm. and then we have to wait for the cavalry to come back. I mean, don't forget, we signed Christopher and Kunku, I think, seven and a half years ago. And he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 if, if the pieces start to come back, um, the, it, it, the future doesn't look grim to me. Uh, again, like I say, that if you're a Man United fan, you're probably looking at the Qatari guy that's thinking of buying the club and going, please, please yeah. just do it. Um, because mm -hmm. under the Glazers, I don't, I don't think that they will really ever, um, they will ever really make uh, sort of turn things around the way Arsenal, for instance, have, I, I, unless they find an inspirational manager like a Klopp or Guardiola. I think they'll they'll be middling around fourth and fifth for the next few years, mm. um, and I do think the future is brighter for Chelsea than it is for Man United. And, and I almost want to say Man City as well, because when Guardiola leaves, everything changes for them. The, you, yeah. you, have, you have a generational manager who is a serial winner. Those are not just replaceable. Like We've seen no. that Mourinho, Conte, 
Like, who do you replace Guardiola with? I, I, it's, I just... it's it's like it's a mirror image to when uh, Sir Alex Ferguson retired at Man United. Ever since then, it's never been the same because the guy had the 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 whole club on his shoulders. He did everything, and he was yeah. involved in everything. And he was, let's say, a generational manager. Guardiola, as, I need him to leave. We we all want him to leave Man City. We, we're all begging for him It'll to leave. It'll happen somewhere. eventually. It'll happen eventually. It will happen eventually. He'll take another year sabbatical, and who knows? He'll probably end up at PSG because that's the last of the far, big five, right? Then he has his, you know, everything. But yeah, it, I mean, the future does look bright for Chelsea uh, on a on a, a large scale. What I want to ask you about though is the man who is currently at the helm. Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, we haven't talked about that much. It, yeah, no, I want to. I want to bring him into the limelight a little bit because, again, I've been quite critical of him. I, I'm still under the. I there's still the ability for him not to be there at Christmas in my mind. I still think it's a very, it's something that could happen, because you look at the next ten games for Chelsea, and it yeah. could be. A, an absolute battering. So they've obviously got Burnley this weekend, but then it reads Arsenal, Brentford, Tottenham, Man City, Newcastle, Brighton, Man United on the 6th of December. Then you've got Everton, Sheffield United before Christmas. There is a very real possibility Chelsea after Burnley do not win a game until December. And at that point, is his, and I know we're just, talk, I'm talking hypotheticals here, is his position still tenable? If you lose eight games in a row, oh, no, because, not because, eight games yeah. in a row. No, because it, at that point, exactly. it's clear we've, the squad's not like buying into anything, right? I mean, yeah, we've had we've had the little, yeah, we've had the the up uptick. We've had the two wins in a row. It, it's been better. It's been a lot better since the start of the season. But I, you know, if we start getting into that rut again of okay, we lose the first one, let's pick ourselves back up again. We lose the next one. Right, let's pick ourselves back up. We get beat by Tottenham 3-4-0, who are on a fantastic streak right now. Poch, 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 Toglu has got them playing fantastic football without Harry Kane. Yeah, Chelsea could get sucked into a really bad sort of whirlpool of, of defeats here. But how how would you rate Pochettino so far? And it, what do you think on those, those next 10 games up to Christmas? Well... I'm I'm convinced by Pochettino as a high quality manager. Um, what I think is important, especially based on the crop of players that they have, is you need someone who does understand how to bring players together. I think a mm -hmm. divisive force, like um, you know, a manager that's very very good at doing siege mentality things, sort of like you know, the high examples are Mourinho and Conte, right? Yeah. But if they have the right squad, siege mentality, that team's going to go and win 15 games on the spin, right? That We mm -hmm. saw that when they were in charge. With young players like this, that will not work. And you do need someone who, I mean, look, the fact that he decided to stick around and just play crossbar challenge with Mudrick to improve his confidence, right? Like, th those are little things where I'm like, you're really keyed into you have the emotional intelligence to understand what the, what the players need. Um, he's trusting in players uh, in ways that we wouldn't have expected. I mean, Mark Kukurea right back, like 
Yeah. Oh, so, oh cool. <laughs> and, and, and he's playing better than he has in over a year. Right. Yeah. Um, these are little things where how actually bad can it be? Right. I think Graham Potter was just unlucky. I think he, he showed up at a moment where it was like, Hey, um, captain the ship, there's tidal waves and everything coming on. Just see if you can keep us afloat. And they were yeah. like, look, we've got too many leaks. Out you go. Pochettino, I think, is on a two-and-a-half-year deal. So basically, cutting him loose won't cost much. If they desperately no. need to, they can. Which I think is good as well for him to be like, look, that th- they'll put faith in me, but if things really start going bad, they won't hesitate to get rid of me. Okay, what do you do in that scenario as a coach? I think the number one key, and this is what... Uh, it's either if there's the number one key to avoiding the sack is having buy-in from your players and your dressing room. If there mm-hmm. is a collective belief in the squad, you'll look at young players and go, they'll turn a corner. But once the dressing room starts to fall apart, you have to get rid of the manager. And I think Pochettino's wise enough to know how to keep enough, not even just enough, but the vast majority of the players on side so that even if they do get beat by Spurs, or they might beat Man United as well, right? So I I can see this run of games not being eight losses. I can see it being two draws, two victories, three losses. Not good, but much too cynical for that, and good. Is that what it is? No, no. I, I, <laughs> and and, and I, I actually really believe that that's that's the worst it would be. I really don't okay, think it's going to be. Okay. I, I think that that's. And, and I will accept that based on where things are going. Again, there's so many important players missing. Um, and, and and the fact that he's getting a tune, I mean, for Malagusto, he was looking great. And then he gets himself red carded, right? Like, it's just so many things that compound. And so I, I like, I've always liked Pochettino. Um, I've never had a, a feeling from him that he oversteps uh gets too cocky that he puts himself too much in the middle of things at mm-hmm. spurs you know i mean he look deli alley has played well under one manager and, yeah, and, and that says true. a lot like now that you look at how difficult of a lifetime he has had and that for a small period of time everything was perfect you have to give Pochettino a certain amount of credit for molding the way that spurs team was and uh, look, it's more, I would rather have faith in Pochettino than start from a position of negativity with him. I, and you know, it's kind of like Graham Potter. I waited until it was almost like tears to be like, okay, it, it, he can go now. It, I mean, I really tried because I knew he wasn't, he, he hadn't lost the team until uh-huh. he had lost the team. When you could see that, formations and and player personnel like you got sterling and pulisic playing right wing back you're like they're gonna they're not gonna like this it's not gonna work and when you start yeah clutching at straws um and making things weird that's where you lose the dressing room and i I just think pochettino has enough about him to avoid looking incompetent put it that way if results Mm -hmm. go really 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 bad they go really really bad um and that may be for a lot of reasons but I think he can avoid looking like a complete dope, if you will, right? So, mm-hmm. well, 
the other question is what's the expectation for the season right i mean uh, well this is this is what it all comes into you know it, it could be a very rough 10 games we we might get two draws two victories three three losses fantastic that'd be a great that would be okay i'd be okay with that but where there is this lack of leadership in the team you know there isn't the the standout figures who like we said with raheem sterling they don't raise the bar they don't lead from the front he has to have every single person on side to keep this going and yet what is the realistic expectation from chelsea for me i i joke around and as, as people can tell from your channel that will get to know me I'm a bit cynical um so i've been saying to my my colleagues at work who are arsenal and liverpool supporters top half will do me fine you know a comfortable top half realistically what has been said in the interview for pochettino it's it's got to be some form of European football mm-hmm. because the investment has been heavy, and no no Chelsea fan can deny that the money has been readily available for us to make improvements and to bring in players that we think can improve the squad. But at some point, we're going to start needing to increase the club revenue in order to pay back some of that money because it will need to be repaid. Let's not forget a lot of this comes from a hedge fund, and they will need yeah. to see returns. So and that here's will come, where yeah, I'm not. I'm. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, yeah, I was just going to say. Do I expect it to be Champions League football? Absolutely not. Do I? Do I hope it would be Conference League? Hopefully, and I know teams so far in this very young competition have hated the competition, but just to get back into Europe would be would be a start for sure. Look, I love the Conference League. I, 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 the reason why I love it is because <laughs> I, I, I love it because I actually think that three three tiers of European football is necessary with how far the game has come. Um, mm. Many many other leagues have more legitimate teams now, teams that can compete. I mean, there there are teams that I didn't hear that I'd never heard of five ten years ago who are like in the Europa League or in the Champions League, and it's because overall the building of those the progression leagues, from, they, they've yeah. progressed they've gotten yeah. better um for me i'm really unconcerned about the league position as long as it's not in really the bottom, bottom half bottom bottom half of the right. table. i would say 11th and down is is just not good enough but if right. they finish ninth i don't care as long as they win one of the cups and i think that has to be for pochettino like, look, the league is difficult. It, 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 I do think because they are not in European football, they they really should be doing well in the league because they have time to prepare for matches. Absolutely. But the league is also, it's just a, such a tough league. I mean, every team is good except for Luton. And even them, they're dangerous <laughs> on their day, right? They've started um, scoring goals now. You know, it's yeah. more than we've been doing. Yeah. And they've got a, you know, their, their home crowd is going to be electric for every game that they play because why not? Um, I've heard from many pro players who said it's one of the weirdest grounds to go and play on. It doesn't feel like you're in a football oh, yeah. stadium. So I, I, I want to go to Luton to see a game. I think that'd be fantastic. But um, I think that Pochettino really needs to not mess around with the Cups. I think, you know, we, we play Blackburn, I believe, next in the EFL. Yep. Uh, all of a sudden you're in the quarterfinal if you win that one, right? Mm-hmm. And, then yep. you're three, and then you're three matches away from a trophy. Uh, Man City are already yeah. out of it. I was going to say Man City are out, so that gives you your best opportunity. But there are still Liverpool still in it, Tottenham still in it. It's 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 not going to be an easy route. But 
having a cup would be great because it it has felt like it's been you know it's been a season and a half, two seasons since we won a trophy, and yeah, do I think we win the FA Cup? Not a chance. If there was a choice, I would love to win the FA Cup over the EFL Cup, obviously. But yeah, I mean, why not focus on the EFL? Let's also, but then the other side of me is we we suffer from injuries heavily. We're suffering this. Let's let's push and let's push to get seventh, eighth. You know, really go for it because it's not going to be easy. Because no, there's Aston no. Villa to deal with, there's Brighton to deal with, there's West Ham to deal with, who four seasons ago we weren't considering them for European football. You know, yeah, no, it's I, true. I, if okay, if I'm being honest and give my uh, just a straight answer, I would say fob off the FA, EFL Cup, just go go for seventh, just really give everything in the league. We'll get play like a, you said play the a EFL Cup. There's four matches left if you win the whole thing, right? There, I think it's the right. round of sixteen now. Then it'd be the quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So that's yep. not very many matches, right? Um, you're not involved in Europe, which all those other big teams, you know, Arsenal, they've just lost in France mm-hmm. to Lens. Uh, Liverpool are playing today against Union Saint Gilles, who are the also owned by Tony Bloom and the Brighton. Of it. They, they, in the last three uh. years, they 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 got themselves promoted. They're currently top of uh, the the Belgian. Is it? Yeah, Belgium. I think it is Belgium. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're currently top of the league and they're in the Europa League. So, like, you know, it's, it's, and Liverpool are playing them today. It's, it's Man United have got to figure themselves out in the Champions League. <laughs> Man City, yeah. they just take over, but they're not in the EFL Cup. And so I look at it then. Here's, here's the big question. How many players, if you look in Chelsea's squad, have won a trophy at the professional level? Not under 18s, not under 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the senior See, level, how many have won a trophy? Look, Enzo has the World Cup. I think he may have may have won a title with River Plate. Um, Caicedo's never think, won anything, I don't think. Um, no. So you've got, you've got Enzo Fernandez, you've got Thiago Silva, yep. Chilwell, Reese James, uh, Raheem Sterling, Cole Palmer, I guess you count as winning with, with City, although, you know, fringes. But that's Back probably... Of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. You, you get a sort of participation medal. Yeah, um, I but think imagine that's about it. just essentially think of the value for those young players of winning a trophy. Yeah. Yes, I know the EFL yeah. is below what Chelsea would consider, but then how does that gather momentum? Do you remember Mourinho's first mean. season, the mm. Carling Cup, as it was called, I think at the time, the Carling Cup. Yeah. Um, Everyone was like, this is a second-rate trophy, which it is. I don't think it should exist. It was created in like the 50s just as a money grab anyway. So if you Mm -hmm. get rid of it, no one will care, I don't think. But what I thought was very interesting is that was the first time since I'd been paying attention that a manager came in and said, it's a competition. We're winning it. And that final between Chelsea and Liverpool felt like an FA Cup final. It was just unbelievable tension and then Man City decided we're going to take this competition seriously. So they win it like what five out of seven years. Mm-hmm. It, like that. It, it, if, if it's good enough for Pep Guardiola to go and try to win it every year, it should be good enough for every other manager because clearly it's a springboard, right? If you win yeah. a, a cup in January, well, it was for and even Man United, actually, they won that trophy mm-hmm. and then they had a good run through the rest of the season to finish in the top four places. So, yes, it may be just symbolic. But for young players and a club that is really needing to totally re-energize itself. Look, the Champions League victory from two years ago, like we say, 
almost no one's around it's like it's it's almost as if it's from the distant past this is a completely new thing and when there was the revolution abramovich came in did the exact same thing as bully signed a ton of players just hey him him joe cole glenn johnson (laughs) uh you know just going off it's just Damien Duff, I want them all. Give them Damian all to Duff, me. Damien Duff, Pacek, Iron Robin, Matai Kesman, Kesman, Adrian <laughs> Mutu, Mutu. Oh, you know, I mean, cocaine smuggling. Thing. Yeah, Hernan Crespo <laughs> was brought in, and and I, he did fine, but yeah. he was not like really. He never, he never was what he was at Chelsea for what he was in Italy. And, no, no, no. And so you, it was. It's a very similar revolution, and that the, the first trophy was the Carling Cup, and so. Mm. that's why i kind of say why not the fa cup's a little bit more of a challenge and the games are happening at a crunch time in the season where i would rather they're focusing on the league for the for april may instead of like oh can we go to wembley buddy do it now when Mm. when there's less in the way and and that trophy might just help some of those kids and we don't know we don't know but I mean, you you do really put up a compelling argument, and the yeah the dynasty sort of comparison. I like, I like it. It's it's good. I just start somewhere. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just wouldn't want to risk it the way we've been. The the I can just imagine. Yeah, we we beat Blackburn Hill. We draw into the next round. We go into the next round, and we lose someone for another three months. And it's it's not an Ian Matson. It's a Caicedo, it's a it's a Fernandez, it's a whoever, it's a Robert Sanchez, who maybe it's better he sits out for a little bit at the moment, but I, I just wouldn't want to take that. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to take the risk right now. I I, I do like it though, and like I say, you've, you've made it a far more romantic than I was ever thinking about it. Yeah, go <laughs> so, back in but, the past. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Pochettino thinks the same way. Like I say, he's very clued into the. The, the, the psyches of the players um and he he understands that what a feeling can bring you know the fact that he keeps do you see he keeps that crate of lemons in his office no i to, didn't hear about this. In, tell me about this so so it's been told it's been found out that he keeps a crate of lemons in the corner of his office and he does all his meetings he does, it's the athletic reporting he does a lot of one-to-one meetings with every player he sits and talks to them in his office and does what he needs to do but the idea of the lemons is that it sucks in all the bad energy and so every week he replaces his lemons with fresh lemons. It sucks out all that bad energy in, in the player and in the, the atmosphere and all this. And maybe a, a Carlin Cup would do, or not a Carlin Cup, an EFL Cup would do that as well. It would be one giant lemon and then push Chelsea on. I like it. It's better than garlic. Um, yeah, <laughs> that stinks as well. At least lemon <laughs> smells nice. Yeah, that's that's the thing. They, they look nice. They smell nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, look, I... This this is why it's very it's been so interesting following what Chelsea are doing and I, I, I me I, I actually it's hilarious I I coach with some high school kids and um, during the summer I had a moment where I realized oh like they don't when I say that I'm a Chelsea fan they don't think about it the way I think about it the way most mm-hmm. other people they're young they yeah. have not seen really seen Chelsea be great much in their lifetimes or at least since they've been paying attention so when i said i'm a chelsea fan literally eight kids just started laughing at me and i was like what you know this spurs kid was like oh my god i was like oh that's how sort of bad it's sort of been for the last few years 
Yeah, and I was like, well, when, when the Spurs fan is laughing at you, that's when you know it's gone real. <laughs> I was like, dude, I don't who know, are you man. laughing at? I mean, yeah, I'll, I know. I'll sorry if he's a recent. Like, your father was alive. <laughs> exactly, and and but it is very interesting when when you realize ah, there there is a slightly different view that has been slowly building about what the club is, and they have hmm. been a little bit of a laughing stock over the last year and a half, two years, and um. But I, I, for me, I'm like, it's not staying that way. We're not going to be a relegated yeah. club. These guys have put so much money in. It has to work at some point. Yeah. A- again, I, I compare it to Man United. You don't know when that's going to turn around. You really don't. Whereas with Chelsea, you're like, look, the amount of money they're putting in, the players that they've bought, at some point you get the right formula, whether it's the manager and the, or the right starting lineup. And Once it starts moving, they could really be challengers. So. Mm. It, I, I'm far more optimistic just because I'm like, look, we're not we're not one of those clubs that's about to like potentially be relegated in three to five years because the owners are gone, tons of debts need to be repaid, players are getting sold, and you do a Leeds United from the early two yeah, thousands, yeah. right? I that's not what's going to happen. So at some point, you get lightning in a bottle, and I, and I I do think that's where Chelsea's going. That may be overly optimistic, but. I see in the next two years, within the next two, three years, they're title challengers, for sure, in my opinion. Now, the question is, like, is there anything before then? Do we need yeah, to go through two or three it. managers to get there? Or will Pochettino be the one that oversees this? Who knows? God. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. We will be watching every single week. 100%. Sitting there and, yeah, seeing what happens. We're there for the ride. It's well, not, it's... It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Exactly, exactly. And and I, I think it's exciting to see a building process happen. And and I can get behind all these players. There's there's really no one, aside from Raheem Sterling, my frustration at the way he can sort of is carrying himself. I love everybody else. I think they're, they're yeah, really they're interesting, you know? And some may not be good enough, really. And we'll end up needing, like, I don't think Kukurea really is ever going to be quite at the standard. But if he can at least rebuild some confidence, show he's not useless, and then potentially be able to move on to somewhere else, and then you replace him with a better player. Again, Mm. these are situations where I I see improvement coming rather than, shit, this could really go downhill, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my battery is uh, on my computer is pretty much down to the last like six, seven percent here, and I've <laughs> I've had to take a leak for about forty five minutes. But, um, yeah. So, uh, Greg, you you've um, you're 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 now holding down the fort on your own here for SGFC, um, and uh, and I, I'm 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 fascinated to see the more more stuff you do. I, I love the the fact you've been doing more shorts and more small content just to keep up with things so uh and and yeah and i like see, see the ring in your eyes every time because you got that <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah i mean the sgfc we it will be rebranded i will be coming back bigger and stronger you know back stronger as the crouchy podcast, as the crouch puts podcast. It. yeah yeah um there will be a rebrand on the way so stay tuned for that but at the moment everything all the social links are at sgfc podcast give us a follow really appreciate it and for those of you on my channel at Campfire Football, puts out some very, very interesting football tactical videos that you will never find on my channel because I'm just not smart enough. (laughs) 
my biggest very... issue is it works really well while your channel is small and YouTube doesn't give much a shit about. Yeah, like if yeah. you're not monetized, <laughs> you can get away with so much copyright stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I enjoyed enjoy your enjoy what last. But yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. Well, Greg, th this has been great. I think uh, you've also helped me, um, you know, add to my positivity. Even though you say you're you're super cynical, I think it's important to have both sides. Absolutely. Um, the cynicism towards VAR. Now that's where I don't I don't know if we're going to stop being cynical about that for Never. quite some time. But Never. But um, hopefully Chelsea does not have to. Hopefully we don't hear Pochettino asking for a replay at any point this season. No, that would be that downright level. embarrassing. God, no. can you imagine? No. Only because only because it happened to Liverpool. That's that's why we're that's all why talking about it. Yep. Yep. Anyway, enough about that. Well, Seb, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank indeed. you for having me on. Thank you for spending the time this evening. And uh, everybody, enjoy enjoy the football this week. Have a good one.